It's time for a new evolution in raising golfers, one that doesn't involve headaches, tears, or heading down the path of unknown. Whether you're trying to introduce children to the game of golf, help them play competitively, or play at a collegiate level, you're in the right place. This show is for any parent, player, or coach who wants to build a better team at home and on the golf course. This is the Raising Golfers Podcast. Hey, what's up, everyone? This is your host of the Raising Golfers podcast, Travis Hauser. I'm a PGA professional working here in Carlsbad, California, which is North County, San Diego, at Rancho Carlsbad Golf Club. Excited to get these junior golf programs going, and I think it's going to be an exciting summer for us all, and just generally speaking for the growth of the game. Golf, in my opinion, is so much more than just a game of technique and speed. It's mental, it's physical, it's psychological, and it requires human skills to bring out the best of you while on the golf course. So today we have Lynn Marriott and Pia Nilsson, who are the co-founders of Vision 54, which is a breakthrough program and golf school based at Talking Stick Golf Club in Scottsdale, Arizona. The game is played on the course, so all of us need to spend so much more time either training on the course or simulate how golf is played on the practice area. What many do here is so separate because hitting 27 irons in a row is a very different activity from having one try to par three, where I have to make a decision about the club and have things going on and I only have one try. It's like many often say, it's like they're practicing volleyball, hoping their tennis game is gonna get better. Today, what we're gonna discuss is exactly what I just talked about, which is how important the human skills are and involving that into your practice and into your play to play better golf. So Lynn and Pia are internationally recognized and are two of the highest ranked female instructors in America and are both regularly featured among Golf Digest's top 50 greatest teachers. Lynn and Pia have coached players to well over 100 tour victories on the LPGA Tour, PGA Tour, European Tour, Ladies European Tour, and Japan Tour. They've coached 10 different major winners and four number one ranked players in the world. They're also authors of four best-selling books, including their newest release, Be A Player. So I know today's gonna be an exciting interview. I can't wait to talk with them. I know you're all gonna get so much out of this conversation today. So grab a pen and a piece of paper and take some really good notes because this is gonna be an awesome conversation. I know it's gonna benefit you as a player, as a parent, and as a coach. Pia and Lynn, welcome to the Raising Golfers podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Travis. Yeah, I'm really excited. And, you know, as we just spoke before we recorded, you two have been a big inspiration to me for my own golf game, but also for my coaching over the years. I've used the app that you guys have created and used some of those things with myself and my students, and it's been a huge help. So first off, thank you so much, and thank you for coming on. I really appreciate that. Oh, well, you're very welcome. It's always fun to us to hear that, you know, what we do and create that can be used by many more. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much. So now in a world where technology and kind of that chase for speed have almost taken over the coaching world, I think some parts have been forgotten and some parts, maybe not even forgotten, but overlooked that are so important. And I believe that's something that you two do very, very well, which is coach the human skills in the game of golf. So 
let's back up a little bit and I'd like to know how you two came about this specific niche in coaching golf. Yeah, I mean, we, Linda came from a little, you know, different background. I came so much first as a player and playing you know, college golf, playing on LPGA tour. So my mindset was like, I have really, really great coaches and I was doing okay, but I knew pieces were missing. So my curiosity starting like, what is it that is missing? And, and then I just happened to start doing coaching in Sweden, but I realized we need to look more what actually happens on the golf course, <laughs> not just on the range. It was for me like something different happens. So that's, and then I kept observing players on the course and started writing notes what they did when they played well compared to when they didn't play well. And obviously through doing that came to so many more things that is not only technical, is other playing skills, other skills needed to play the game that became so apparent to me. So I started getting curious and learning and studying more. And then anytime I went to the U.S. and ran into Lynn, she was kind of interested in that too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My, in my background, I, mean, I played junior golf, <clears throat> excuse me, in college golf, and then became a golf professional with the PGA of America. So I've been a golf professional 37 years. <laughs> so a long time. And my um, initial training was all technical, of course. So I was a swing teacher and, uh, and all my training was in that was looking at swings and how, helping people get better swings or technique. And so I was, I was actually pretty good at it. And I often tell the story is that people got better technique and then they went out to play golf and they didn't necessarily play better. And some played worse, <laughs> even though they had better swings or they had better chipping strokes or putting strokes or whatever we'd worked on. And as a young professional, I didn't think it was my fault. <laughs> you know, <laughs> tongue in cheek, but, but really I, I didn't because I didn't know what happened when they went out on the course. You know, I did my thing on the range and they got better and then they went and played and I had no idea what actually happened out there. Yeah. And so I got interested in that, you know, actually. And um, that led me to obviously much more than the swing and much more about their human experience when they play golf on the golf course. Mm. So a lot and today, like you said, is like a great time to be doing what we're doing. So we all can grow the game even more. And for the young golfers, it's like super, super important. But it's a lot just getting people to just get a reality check and just a reality check. And we usually ask them, you know, is golf played on the golf course? And so far everybody says, yes. <laughs> we ask them, is golf played by humans? And everybody so far said, yes. So, and this human, you know, has a body and a mind and emotion. So part of the golf fundamentals for us is to learn to manage that. So that together with the technique can be a new future that is just exceptionally good. Yeah. No, I would totally agree. And I'm sure you would agree as well. At least for me, I think sometimes adapting a golfer's mindset and kind of, or even just the parents who are involved in the minds, uh, in the, in the junior golfer to kind of change their mindset off of some of those technical parts, because, you know, I have students that come to lessons and say, Oh, you know, my swing planes, you know, I'm still swinging out to end. The parent comes and says, Oh, you know, they're, they're still not hitting their driver very good. They're still hitting a slice. And, you know, you ask those questions about, well, you know, you know, what other things were they doing on the golf course? You know, what did the round of golf actually look like? What was their behavior? What was, you know, how do they handle the ups and downs? And their focus is still on the technical part. So my question would be, how, what other things do you do to adapt the golfer's mindset and maybe even adopt, adapt the mindset of those involved 
in that junior golfer, whether it's parents or maybe even some of their technical coaches. Yeah, I mean, we, like Chris said, we, we start every golf school with the three questions we just said, but we also talk about what we call the reality of golf and that golf is a physical thing. So there's a body. And with the juniors, I mean, you're going to see swing changes when their bodies are changing. So, you know, we just try to help educate the parents that not to panic and that swing changes are normal um, and that sort of thing. So we see golf as physical. It's also obviously technical. So there's times to work on technical things and making sure that their golf clubs are fit. And then golf is mental. I mean, every junior golfer we've ever met still has a brain. Yeah. <laughs> and, and golf is emotional. And so we have to, you see those emotions when the kids are playing. So, you know, then we, we have to teach them or support them with some skills on how to deal with their emotional management when they're on the course. And of course, golf is social, meaning they have to play with other kids. <laughs> So learning how to do that. And then what we think is really, really important is that golf is also spiritual or at least in the, the mindset of understanding motivation. So why, why does this you know, child want to play golf and what is super motivating for them? So we look a lot at more what is their intrinsic motivation for playing golf, not just their extrinsic yeah. rewards for playing golf. So what's really important when we see that, and everybody, I mean, everybody says, yeah, it is true. But we, what, what gets tricky is that all the, the body and the mind and the emotion and social, all of them, if they're not working, they show up in the technique. So, for example, if I suddenly, my body gets, my shoulders get all tight, there's a tension in the shoulder it might make me not make a full turn. So, you know, it manifests in the technique. Or mentally, if I'm over the putt and I'm not decided, I don't know if it's right edge or just outside right edge. So I, I hit the putt being indecisive and I miss it and maybe decelerate. So it shows up in something technical. So we often say, and obviously through golf schools, everybody gets to experience this. So we just say like, we need to be a little nicer to the technique because the technique gets blamed for everything, even though it's not its fault. It's just, you know, manifest there. So the future super golfers, we, we always say they can have a little broader, smarter view, knowing that things end up in the technique, but we need to know, is it technically like a ball position or posture, or is it just this other thing that shows up in the technique? And that realization is incredibly important. So we, we don't, never deny them, say, yeah, it is all about the technique, but we need to have a little more modern view of how that all works. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think from the buy-in perspective, just hearing you two explain the last few minutes of what you're doing, you've got me fully bought into what you guys are doing. <laughs> I'm curious, is after maybe a golf school that you host, what's the kind of eye-opener or feedback that you get from some of the students that they give you after they've gone through this golf school? Well, I mean, they, they often just realize how insufficient their training has been, <laughs> that it, it's only been one dimensional. And so they will continue to work on their technique, but they need to actually add all these other human skills and actually train those human skills. And then they need to actually train those skills on the golf course. So it becomes, a, you know. Yeah. And, and what they notice is, like, I don't know how it's happening, but I'm, I'm hitting it better. But I haven't, like, worked my swing, but I'm hitting it better or putting it better or chipping it better. 
So they, they get the action like, wow, you know, it's because obviously the whole thing is supposed to end for us. Our main intentions are always to help golfers play better on the course and enjoy it more. So, you know, everything is still, we want to land in, in those two things. So, but they are the ones that need to feel like it's actually happening. (laughs) Right. No, I think that's cool. And actually I used, um, like I said, I've had that app, the application you guys have for years. And I used a couple of things in a short game clinic just the other day. And one of them was just like what you talked about, Pia, was the, the tension, the tightness. And I just talked about grip pressure and that was it. And I had them try the four different grip pressures yeah. in the clinic. And afterwards, like at first, they're kind of giving me this interesting look. And then afterwards, they're like, that's something I've never thought about. And all of a sudden, like, I'm starting to hit my chips much better. I find that I'm more of the closer to the three range. If, if one is extremely tight and four is extremely loose, like, I feel like I'm more of a three. But I think before I was in between a one to two. And just, you know, all of a sudden you see their eyes and they're like, maybe I have been training only one dimensionally, like you said, Len. And I need to start thinking about some of these other human skills that kind of brings the athlete out in me. Exactly. And I, I, just, I thought that was huge. Yeah. Well, so that's exactly like our dream of the future that more, more of our colleagues like you actually bring it into what we're doing because it's when it's a natural integration of the technical and these human skills, a shift is really going to happen. Because we always say we don't want to be so alone doing this. <laughs> but when everybody understands, it's not about either or. It's about let's put it all together. And and also, you know, most golfers don't have time to practice that much anyway. So making some swing changes is is it's a good idea, but it's just not going to happen. But very many can do many of these human skills, and the return on investment is enormous. Yeah. I would and, totally agree. Yeah, and obviously for the for the kids growing up, I mean that is going to be the super golfers of the future that early on learn both you know fitness and technical skills and the human skills that actually are fundamental to the game of golf. Mm. No, I totally agree. So then, what would you could you give us an example of what a productive practice session would look like if you had maybe let's just say two hours per week to commit to working on your game of golf? Yeah. yeah. But, but before we do that, Travis, I just wanted to add one more thing. Is yeah, that, sure. Yeah. I mean, we, we've looked at a lot of the research and the, the research is very clear that if you're going to set up a, a program for people to get better, and I'll just, I'll back up even that, is that they, the research looked at Olympic athletes. And when they were looking at Olympic athletes, they were looking for common denominators that athletes had the meaning that they had uh, meddled or they had performed well in several different Olympic games. And so there were three things that, that came out of this research was that those Olympic athletes who performed well or more sustainable performance over time, they had much more self-awareness. So they, they knew themselves well. So they knew if the swing was getting too fast, the grip pressure too tight, they could like notice it themselves while they're playing. Yeah. And so, and then from that self-awareness, they could also start to do what is called self-reference. And they only compared themselves to themselves, not, you know, oh, I should swing like Justin Thomas, or I should swing like Lydia Ko or Jessica Corder. No, no, no. I mean, I need to swing like me. And just so from that awareness and then start to have more self-referencing. And then from there, they could start to develop skills that are what are called self-regulation. 
So in, in competition, if the grip, in this case, like we're talking about with grip pressure, if the grip pressure got too tight, they could, you know, modulate and then change that grip pressure so they could self-regulate in real time. That's just called actually being a player. (laughs) (laughs) So this self-aware, self-referencing, self-regulate is what we set all of our training up to be. Exactly. And so, so, and we explain that to parents and we explain that to, you know, anybody who comes for coaching that we're not here like to tell you what to do. We're going to give you lots of exercises to explore yeah. where you're going to increase your self-awareness and your self-referencing and your self-regulation. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. yeah. But, to, to but, that, the, but with yeah. the, with the practice, like you asked if it two hours, I mean, what, what we say simply because everybody asks, how should I do it? At least divide your practice in thirds, we say. So, if it's two hours, like, okay, 40 minutes, technical drills. And you know from your teacher the good drills to do. And then 40 minutes to these human skills. It's the skills you need before a shot, during a shot, after a shot, between shots. And then 40 minutes more game-like simulated practice. So I said, it, it, so it's, at least as a starting template to have a little better practice, is we, we want them to, to start with that. And it's for many to get off spending 95% on, on technical things because I think I want to get that done before I move on. And with that mindset, it's never going to happen because we never like <laughs> feel we're done. Right. No, I think that's a great advice. I like that. So then how, how should a golfer evaluate the quality of their practice session or the productivity of their practice session? What should they do after they're done? Well, they, they, we like them to set up, you know, intentions. So if, you know, you've given them a technical drill and maybe they know I'm going to do, you know, 10 reps of this, this drill and then I'm going to move on maybe how many reps or five minutes of this drill. So I, I know like I have achieved and then I leave, leave and move on to something else. And the same thing for human skills. That's why we last few years created hundreds and hundreds of exercises around this that I know, okay, here's a tempo exercise and this is what I'm supposed to do. And I know when I'm finished. <laughs> so it needs, so we, it's very important to know when you're done and then you can move on. But let's, you know, you might say, okay, today I'm going to work on distance response and putting and then have a couple of drills that you would do with that. And then you say, I'm also going to work on my decision-making meaning making a decision on a shot or a putt or anything, and then just evaluating how I stay committed to that decision. So you start separating process and outcome. And then maybe you want to um, practice or train your emotional response, what we call your memory box. So you would have certain drills or exercises set up for that. So those would be the intentions that you you declare let's say at the beginning of your practice session and then have a way that you've gone through these exercises and and you've tried them out and then written notes about them yeah okay i think that's very useful i think if you're a player listening if you're a coach listening or if you're a parent of a player listening listen back to that a couple times the last five minutes and take a lot of notes because i think that was really huge and it's um, something i'm going to actually do with my own practice and also some things i'm going to implement with my coaching as well i think that was great yeah, I, t- I tell a fun story, and um, we we've been invited to to many colleges to do training with the teams. And so, a few years back, um, we were invited up to Stanford, and Maverick McNeely was a freshman at Stanford, but he didn't make the starting five. 
So after our training that day, the assistant coach came up to us and said, you know, Maverick would like to just spend a few private minutes with you just talking about his practice plans. And we said, sure. It was cool because he said, not till now have I ever heard that there are other things than technique to practice. So he just got very, very curious and, you know, read some of our books and said, like, I need to add all these things. Yeah. So he said, can I send you some of my practice plans and you guys can, you know, kind of show me what, what I'm missing and tell me what, you know, you would plug in there. So we did and we did that. And anyway, it was pretty interesting because that summer he qualified for the U.S. Open and then his sophomore year, he went back winning. to Stanford. He won seven times and, you know, I almost but, broke all of Tiger's records at Stanford. But my point is, is, if you don't know what to practice and you don't have it be no. a, a whole plan, yeah. it's it's really yeah. hard to get better. Another thing he did, and we wish all juniors, everybody keep doing as early as possible, and it is to keep writing notes about what you do when you play well. So if I play three holes well, or I don't know, two holes or more holes, it doesn't matter, but afterwards keep somewhere in your notes or digital devices like, Keep writing down the things I seem to do when I play well. So it could be like when I snack on ovens or <laughs> when I when I feel the tempo in a certain way or when I, you know, my decision making is this and that. That Just keep accumulating that because is that every pl- great player has a unique way of being great. And the only one who can really grasp that is the player themselves. So the earlier I just get curious about like what to actually do when I play well and we call it the my 54 or it would be the travis 54 or Lynn 54 but it's it's me at my best so and and he merrick did that uh and it was really you know obviously helpful but it's helpful for everybody i agree yeah i actually had a um, mental coach on the podcast last week and he said he does something called a three and one and basically after every practice session or every round to take notes and you should first write down three things you did well and then maybe write down one thing you want to work on and so I've kind of implemented something very similar to what you said. And I did it last week with a student of mine, and he's a psychologist. And he said, you know what? I'm a psychologist. He's like, but I'm probably the worst psychologist for my own golf game. And he's like, just by you saying that to me has helped me think much more positively about the game and my yeah. own game and uh, makes me enjoy it even more. And I just thought that was very interesting, you know, coming from him and his profession. <laughs> well, actually, we, we've had that happen a couple of times with those in that profession come into a golf school and they they actually learn to implement it themselves for themselves. <laughs> on the golf, golf is a funny thing. This is years ago. It's a little, a little bit of a digression, but I had this guy, he's one of the most renowned economists in the country. And he, he teaches at a, at a university in Chicago, but I mean, he like writes the books about economics and so he was so into his golf. And I, at the end of it, I thought, I'm going to use an economics term. I'm going to talk about ROI, return on investment, and what he could do to get a better return on investment of his training. And he, he was so into golf, he said, what's ROI? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's funny. I love that. That's Golf great. A little uh, yeah, tunnel vision. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. It's a great story. So I'm sure you've heard this before, and I know you talk about it a lot, but you'll have your student come to your lesson, and or you're a parent, and you've just watched your junior golfer go play. And you say, man, they were hitting the ball so good on the driving range. They went out and played their nine-hole event today, and they played awful. 
<laughs> how do we connect the two together? Well, the number one, number one, number one is that we need to, the game is played on the course, so all of us need to spend so much more time either training on the course or simulate how golf is played on the practice area. But what many do here is so separate because hitting 27 irons in a row is a very different activity from having one try to par three where I have to make a decision about the club and have things going on and only have one try. It's like many often say it's like they're practicing volleyball hoping their tennis game is going to get better. So, and <laughs> we have such incredibly nice practice facilities today, but they, they, they practice themselves, might practice really hard, and we see this so much. And then it does not transfer because how they're practicing is too different from actually the game. So, and then, you know, first of all, too, for many, you know, if, if parents are juniors, like how you hit it, for example, in the warm up, there's no indication of how you can hit it on the course. And everybody knows that because all of us have had a bad warm up hitting it horrible, and suddenly things come together on the course. And many of us have also had the opposite. So it's a very different things to warm up and hit balls and playing golf. So more golf training needs to be like the game is actually played. We have less of this issue. I would, yeah, I would agree. And is there something that you would recommend somebody if they're going to play a tournament? Like, what do they do in their warm up session just before? Would there be one kind of important human skill that you would tell them to focus on before walking mm -hmm. to the first tee? I, I mean, what we have found with, with all the players that we coach, from tour player down to recreational to junior, that they're never going to go wrong with some balance exercises, some tempo exercises, and tension awareness exercises in their warm-up. I mean, it's never going to hurt. Because you just—it's only going to help. Yeah, you just in some ways we call that the BTT. Yeah. You should calibrate the body to be functional that day. And and what we say tell everybody why it's so important to you is that every day you're different. Every day you're never ever going to have two days ever that's going to feel the same. Your body's different depending on how you slept and what you ate and if you worked out or not. And your mind is different depending on social media and homework and <laughs> all these things. And your emotions are different too. If I'm leading, I'm different than if I'm in the middle of the pack and things like that. So it's getting used to warm up is to warm up, but it's to calibrate and get myself in a good state in the body and the mind and the emotion. And that is more important than how I hit it. Mm. And you, I know you two have both worked with a lot of tour professionals. And I don't think necessarily as parents, our goals should be to have our children get to the tour level, unless that's what our children's aspirations are. However, right. what would you say that the tour professionals are doing better than most other amateurs or people who haven't made it to that level in their practice sessions and their um, their warm up before going out and playing a tournament? Is it some of those things you just described, or are they not doing that so well either? Like, wh what is it that kind of separates them? <laughs> yeah, I mean, definitely some could still do it better <laughs> because everybody falls back to bad patterns. Mm -hmm. um, you know, whether that's a tour professional or you know, really good amateur. But yeah, I would say, you know, I mean, what I see. Um, Let's, let's just talk about junior golfers. I see a lot of parents hovering over juniors in a warm-up, and they start doing the fix-it <laughs> session, which is, you know, the child's not hitting it well, so they start fixing things, and then 
the parents kind of panic, the child's kind of panicked. You know, they're they're not in any good state to actually start the round of golf. So, um, I mean, I just think that, you know, you've you've got to got to have again a mindset or an intention about warm up. And we often say the intention is is to warm up your mind, your your body, and your emotions. Yeah, and, and then and then create confidence. Yeah, and then then kind of in it ties into what you said, and then you know decide what you're going to focus on yeah. that day that's actually under your control. Because it's obvious you want to win a match or score low, but what are you going to, you know, focus on during that round that is most important but it's under your control? So I think one of the things that differs the great tour players that we work with that they 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 realize that, that they, of course, they want to have good rankings and do well and all of that. But when they play, they have all their attention on things under their control. It could be the tempo of the swing. It could be clarity of decision. could be a certain feel. But they they are not so obsessed with the outcome while they play. Mm-hmm. Their mind is on actually taking action where you can take action and, and keep on going no matter what. And learn to close the door on shots you hit and move on no matter what. So we won't say who the players, but just tell the story about the young boy, that 11-year-old who was ahead by six shots in a tournament. And so his last yeah. round, this yeah. is funny. No, it's but funny, this was just he's, last week. He's just learning to <laughs> compete. So he didn't know, but then, you know, so then he was ahead and he hadn't done so well. So he said, well, I'm just going to make birdies all day today. So that didn't go very well. So then next time I was doing really well, I said, I'm just going to play for bogeys because I'm ahead by so many. And that didn't work out either. So, <laughs> so the, the, the point is, and we've actually had that with uh, tour players too, so it's learning to set a you know a game within the game for yourself that you're going to stick with, you're going to stay with, but there are things actually under your control. Mm-hmm. And scores, scores are not. Mm-hmm. I think that's so good advice. That in an elite player that's learned that that they're just warming up and then they set this playing focus or playing promise or intention for the round that's 100% under their control and then they go yeah but you know well, so warm up never turns into a panic session yeah and then another thing just with this is that is find so incredibly important because if you as a junior or the kids that you want them to enjoy competing it's so important that the parents or coaches and the juniors learn to separate who you are from what you do. That my score doesn't equate my Mm -hmm. (laughs) self-worth. And that separation we know is extremely important if uh, this kid or any adult too is going to keep enjoying competition and, and strive in that environment. But if I feel that my whole identity is tied to that outcome of mine, it usually doesn't go very well. That's awesome. That's great advice. I really like that. Now, the two of you have put together a lot of resources, books. You've got your application as well. Like I said, I've been using it for years. It's awesome. And one thing I want to touch on before we wrap this conversation up is you wrote a book a number of years ago called Golf Parent for the Future. And tell me how that idea came to mind and then maybe just a couple of of maybe key points that you've put within that book so then parents can go on and and get that resource and read through that because i'm i know there's a lot of of gold within that book 
<laughs> yeah. yeah, so it, it was actually the American Junior Golf Association who they came to us and they said, you know, you guys are doing some really awesome things. Would you help us put together a booklet we could give out to all of our parents? So yeah. it was about almost 6,000 parents. And so that that was really the genesis of Golf Parent for the Future. Yeah, and it it zeroes in on you know four main things, and we already covered a couple of them here. It is <laughs> learning to focus on things under your control, to separate who you are from what you do. So it's four four insights that, and then exercises and practice how to make that happen. But it it's been it's re- really fun because it's you know our only self published book, but it you know it's not even a book; it's a little booklet. But it's it's on Kindle and and, uh, and paperback and things like that. But it's it's just naturally spread to like twelve countries, and it's been very been very useful for many, which makes us happy. And now, this past year, we created more even modern and updated version that is done uh, uh, through remote training. We call Support Fifty Four, so we could add more videos and audios and make it more come alive and. Uh, so it's very exciting, and we we get so much uh, passion and joy out of from our experience helping others how we best support another golfer so they can love the game and play as good as they want to play. Yeah, and I, I want to add, Travis, because we, what we found is most parents have awesome intentions. So I mean, you know, it's really rare that we find a, a parent that's you know so far you know, off that we're like, wait a minute, what do they really want for their child? I so totally most agree. of them, yeah, they have great intentions. Yeah. And, but then they just behave weird. And <laughs> so they just say <laughs> the wrong things or they say... Well, they don't think about the know, body language. Yeah, so all, all we're trying to do is just yeah. create um, a dialogue yeah. about awareness, yeah. about how that parent could maybe behave a little bit differently or communicate differently so that, that it can be more productive. Yeah. And then the child can continue to like golf yeah. and, and hopefully love golf. Yeah. Because all, you know? all we want to be is just team members <laughs> and never questions intention what they're doing, but just from our experience of peak performance and our experience of yeah. coaching golfers from just about all continents of the world and just some common denominators that they should reflect on that seems to have been working much better. That's all we want. Yeah. And I, I, we know as coaches, we always want feedback and ideas to get better at what we're doing. The golfers want feedback and learn new things. So if it's parents, anyone else supporting, they're all in the same boat too. So it's just having more of that growth mindset. Hmm. Yeah. Exactly. No, I, I would totally agree. Yeah. And it's something that I've, it's been touched on in this podcast a few times for different guests. And one of them's from a friend of mine, his name's Neil Plimmer. He's in the UK. And he says that, you know, what we have to do as adults is we have to constantly reflect on what our true values are and what our values are for our children. And he said, because, you know, our values and intentions are always going to be very good. We have to constantly remind ourselves that that is what our values are for our children. Because sometimes, you know, like you said, our body language might show different than what our actual values are. We might act a little bit silly and those aren't in line with actually what our true values are. So I think what you said there is really important and huge. And um, I'm glad you guys put that resource together for parents. Yeah. So if parents, listeners, coaches, players, if they want to find any of your resources, where's the best place for them to go? to find out more about what you're doing and how to get some of this gold to change their lives in the game of golf? Well, the easiest is to go to our website is vision54.com 
And from there, you can find all the resources and information and training and all of that. Yeah. So there's things in there for in-person coaching and then some remote coaching yeah. and then some you know, self-coaching self would yeah. be app and books and all of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. And I'll add those into the show in the show notes as well. Now, before you go, I got one last question for both of you. Sure. What would be your final words of inspiration for raising golfers? Oh, it's fun. You know, yesterday we actually played golf ourselves and we, we came up with this kind of interesting mindset about the round and it was simply this. So I would share this, do your best on every shot and enjoy whatever happens. Mm, I love that. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I would do along with that. It's, it's to get the hold of, what is it actually I love about the game that goes beyond my scoring? Because, and that's what we call the spirit of the game. Is it because I'm with my friend or is it because I'm in nature or is it because I like to compete or is it because I like to challenge myself? Because we found that spirit of the game, if that's not being met, no matter what I do and train is not going to work. And all of us might have a little different reason why we really, you know, love the game and love competing, and and that needs to be revisited. From and men who you know, for juniors, they need to find it because early on they might do it because my parents play or they want me to play or there's a possibility of getting a scholarship or whatever it's going to be. But if this is going to work, the juniors need to themselves fall in love with the game. Of course, outcomes, but more than that. And for all of us who played longer, it's so important. And us coaching a lot of tour players, it's it happens to everybody. You know, they're on tour a couple of years, and then they get you know tired of travel and hotels and always being identified by rankings. And they really need to get get a hold of this. And if they don't, you know, it usually manifests in not very good play. That's perfect. I love that. So. I, I've I've had you on the line here for just shy of forty minutes. I think I could have you on for another decade with a, lot, a list of <laughs> questions. Um, but right. thank you so much for taking the time and coming and join us here on the podcast. And again, I think you've been a huge inspiration for golfers around the world. And I think you've also helped people just in their own life skills beyond the game of golf. And I think that's something huge for everybody that's listening. And again just thank you so much it's it, it's been awesome and I, I look forward to the the more the more and more things you guys put out and I, i'm just gonna be following you guys along the way oh, thank well, you so thank much you, travis, travis. And thank yeah. you for the good questions and thank you for doing this the podcast because yeah. it's, it's it's really important and that your your passion is there to grow yeah. the game and support the parents well thank you so much i appreciate that All right, what a fantastic interview with Lynn Marriott and Pia Nilsson, who are the co-founders and owners of Vision 54. Just absolutely loved everything they had to say. Go back if you haven't already, take some more notes, hit that pause button if you have to. I think there's so much gold within that. And they shared so much with us today. I think that was just so cool and so much fun. So some of my big takeaways were that number one, players need to play more golf and understand that range practice often doesn't correlate to how you play on the golf course. And like they said, is it's so often that you might have a really good range day and you go on the golf course and all of a sudden you have such a poor day. So it's really important to understand how to practice better so that you can start training yourself to play on the golf course and enjoy yourself more and play better golf. 
It's also important to understand that we need to get our body, our mind, and our emotions correct before even playing around the golf and understand that every day is a different day. And that was something they talked about and I just that resonated with me with so much because I see it out there with some of my students and I can understand that, you know, people come in after work or students have come to classes after school and their mind, their emotions, everything is different than maybe the day before. So we all have our ups and downs and I think just being patient with the journey and being patient as adults with junior golfers and understanding that it just takes time and just trust the process. And we know that these kids are brilliant and they're gonna do very well over the long haul. And then the last thing was, is that something I took away from them is, you know, as humans, I, th I think we're the most adaptable thing in nature. So we have to be able to adapt both on and off the golf course, not just with our technique, but also the ability to use our own human skills and bring the athlete out of us to show on the golf course. So I think there was just so much really, really good information on there. Len and Pia, they did a fantastic job of coming on and just sharing that with us on the podcast and everything they do for the game of golf is just fantastic. So if you haven't already, follow them on Instagram and go check out their resources on their website. It will completely change your game and overall enjoyment in playing the game of golf.